Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today I'll be taking a back seat as we bring you the first episode of a new Additive Insight series called Innovators on Innovators, where two industry leaders talk amongst themselves and share their insights on the AM industry. Today, you'll be hearing from Hans Langer, the founder of EOS, a leading AM hardware company, and Link Kaiser, the CEO of Hyperganic, a provider of AI-based design software. In this episode, Langer and Kaiser discuss their backstories, their first experiences with 3D printing, what the future of design and manufacturing will look like, and how AM technology will play a huge role in it. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com, where you can get your free subscription to TCT Magazine and get the biggest 3D printing news stories delivered straight to your inbox every week with our Additive Insight newsletter. I'll now leave you to listen to a very interesting conversation, which begins with Lynn recounting how he first met Hans at an industry event. Just thinking, you know, <laughs> how um, how we actually met. I think that was 2016. Yeah, at the. 17, yeah, at the DLD conference, right, in Correct. Munich. And you had just given this really, really awesome talk about the future of production and manufacturing using additive. And I, I said, oh, my God, <laughs> I need to talk to this person. And I chased you in the speaker's lounge, and I was like, oh, do I talk to him? Do I talk to him? And yeah. then, uh, you know, I finally went over to you, and you were kind of surprised because I Probably nobody ever talks about additive to you, and yeah. uh, and um, and then we had a really nice conversation. I think that's that's really the first connection that we had together, right? Yeah, and and you should not forget uh, after our uh, first talk, I talked to Steffi, who arranged the DLD conference, and he said, "Don't underestimate Lynn. He's a big guy in in the digital world," uh, and uh, I started to understand. Uh, what you were up to. But uh, I think we had an interesting follow-up meeting uh, sometimes later because during our your first introduction, I uh, said, maybe you talk to the US people, you talk to the venture people, uh, but this was not really uh, uh, successful at this point in time. And then we met again at uh, BMW World uh, for a special uh, conference that was arranged by Susanne Klatten on the Nematom. And, uh, and we had on, on the podium also a top BMW guy. And uh, I think it was very interesting um, uh, to follow up on this discussion because uh, uh, we really had not met for a year or so. Uh, and, uh, and now we were in, in a discussion about real projects. And, and then we made a follow-up meeting at the US. You ever met me first time at the US, you gave me your background, your story, your uh, very impressive uh, story in the digital world. Uh, and, uh, and I immediately had the feeling uh, there is much more what we could do together, but it's probably uh, uh, in the future where will this uh, pay back? Because uh, uh, in my eyes, you are an uh, extreme visionary. I, I consider myself a visionary, but I think we met uh, uh, at a level where we had a rather clear understanding how the future could look like, and this is where we are. So I, 
I enjoy to continue the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, I only learned about 3D printing, additive manufacturing in 2012 when I bought a, my first 3D printer, like a monster uh, FFF printer, um, you know, from bits from bytes, you know, British company, you know, giant thing. That was the first time I, I discovered additive. And but of you, of course, you've been going at it for like 30 years and you invented a lot of the things, you know, um, that, uh, that I, I used many, many years later. But I think we both agree that what we've seen in the last 30 years is nothing compared to what, to what will come in the next decade or so, right? And, you know, this is where it gets really, really interesting. And, and this is, uh, I can only confirm this. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, so far, if I look back uh, to tell you the truth, in 85, I was uh, working at General Scanning in Boston, uh, and there was a guy calling uh, for, to buy a, a scan head, and this was Chakal, uh, the inventor of 3D printing, and, uh, uh, and uh, my team sold him the first scanners, uh, and, and I heard in 85, first time the name uh, 3D printing. And I still keep a video uh, from, uh, for the from the presentation he gave us because he had not started 3D systems at this point in time. He was just looking for, uh, for money. But when I saw his concept, I mean, this was really intriguing. And from this point on, in time on, I was thinking a lot about uh, additive, how the additive world could be structured. But, Please don't forget, in 85, we bought our first Apple computer. There were no PCs available at this point in time, okay? So we really uh, installed the first Apple computer in 85, and uh, nobody had an idea how you can connect a computer to a machine that creates parts. <laughs> I mean, the funny story is that in the 1990s, the first startup that I got involved in, I mean, so I've been also you know, in, in entrepreneurship for 30 years now. And the first startup that I got involved in in the early 1990s, they had this crazy idea that you could use a PC to control big industrial machines. And so yeah. that was my first job experience you know, in the startup. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I, I, I helped bring, you know, a computer in this computer PC technology to the industrial world. But you did it already earlier in a field that is now going to kind of replace or at least significantly augment, you know, traditional yeah. manufacturing. So you yeah. were actually even earlier than that, you know. So it's yeah. this is actually a funny, funny connection. Yeah. 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 But. Uh... But when we started then, I mean, uh, I left uh, General Scanning in 88 because they didn't want to support my idea to create an additive uh, subsidiary of General Scanning. What a stupid uh, idea, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and um, well, I, I found my business angel who is uh, one of the most successful venture capitalists in the world. Uh, and I created uh, finally not less than 10 companies together with him. But the first one was the US. Uh, and um, and he said you will find uh, a party in Munich. You don't need the Americans. Uh, and I found BMW, and, and really we we uh, made it to the top level of BMW because they wanted to invest in the technology, but they didn't agree with what they were getting. And you should not forget at this point in time, 
an SLA machine there was in essentially waiting time, okay? So to uh, create the data for one layer, you waited for two minutes. Can you imagine? And then another wait for two minutes, you create the next layer. And they said, this is it crazy. Wasn't, it wasn't the process, right? It was just the computing power, right? That's Correct, it was a computing power because, uh, <laughs> Because we had to work, uh, they had to work with workstations, no? as a, to 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 get the data uh, there, and therefore uh, design was not such an issue at this point in time because they couldn't even create the layer data. Uh, yeah. And uh, and the BMW said, people said to me, "Hey, this is nonsense. I mean, uh, can't you build as a machine based on a PC, Windows based, and so on?" And we really created the first additive machine on a Microsoft Windows system. Yeah. This was an absolutely new one and, and unbelievable. But the BMW people, and we are in the 90s, early 90s, had the idea to use this technology for industrial production as a for real part, functional parts. But their lithography parts at this point in time had no function. I mean, they were brittle, they were just, uh, being usable for some prototypes, and, and this was even a nightmare. Um, I, think, I think that is one of the challenges that Additive still has, that most people still have that image in their minds, you know, from these days, you know, that, that you know, this is great for prototypes, etc. but it's nothing for serial production. It's too expensive, it's too slow, you know, the material quality is not there. And these days are long gone, and this is, this is what fascinated me. So, when I bought my first 3D printer in 2012, the first thing that I was fascinated about, you know, I've been doing software for 40 years now. And for me, for software was always one of the most creative things that you could do. A software always moved fast, PC technology always moved fast. But, you know, the rest of the world kind of moved very slowly. And I always ask myself, why is the rest of the world moving so slowly when I'm used to this incredible uh, speed up, you know, every you know the new pc is actually faster and you, know, you can do more stuff and software just you know builds on top of each other it's always improves and this seems not to be happening happening in the in the real world and when i got a 3d printer i realized wait a second this now is a tool where we can bring the software paradigm into manufacturing and then i say ah, okay lynn you're kidding yourself because you know i mean i had this fdm printer you know which produced horrible parts etc then I discovered, you know, the whole world of industrial 3D printing. And that's where, you know, my eyes opened. I said, wait a second, this is actually, this has the potential to be the manufacturing method that you can use to create revolutionary parts. And now we need a software ecosystem for that. And that, that was kind of my thinking that eventually started um, the, uh, the idea for Hypergamic. Yes. And uh, I mean, I came out of the uh, laser world now, manufacturing with lasers, because parallel uh, to ES, we started ScanLab, which is a world market leader today in, um, let me say, uh, digital manufacturing, laser-based digital manufacturing. And this is far more than additive. Just to give you an idea, I mean, at US, we use around 1,000 scan heads per year, but uh, general scanning is shipping 50,000. Five zero thousand scan apps uh, per year, and a company like Foxconn, uh, they use uh, more than ten thousand of our systems just to manufacturing iPhones. And uh, so this this gives you a little bit uh, uh, perspective 
on where this thing could move. And uh, Foxconn still uses around uh, 100,000 CNC machines. And when they got the order from Apple to manufacture the iPhone, they purchased 5,000 CNC machines per quarter. <laughs> okay, so I, I mean, thought this is a is an interesting potential for additive. Okay, yeah, because absolutely. an additive I mean, machine at the end of the day is much more functional than a CNC machine. I mean, I think that's one of the fun things that people often forget. You know that manufacturing is so unbelievably big, yeah. and you know, we are also. We are, I mean, you are very happy with the growth rates of. You know, additive. You know, at this time, you know, I mean, I think you just had a fantastic year. Um, I mean, we are very happy with the adoption of our software in the industry, etc. And you know, we we are you know very happy about that. But we're just scratching the surface of manufacturing at this point. You know, I mean, additive is like nothing. But I think you and I, we both believe very yeah. clearly that. Additive is going to play a huge role in manufacturing. It is yeah. going to play maybe the biggest role in manufacturing in the long run. Yeah. You know, but it is of course a path you have to go there. And the the the, the interesting thing I think that that we both see is this parallel between what um, happened in the production of computer technology, especially microchips. Yeah. And what is now happening in additive, you know, in, yeah. in, in microchips, you had this very interesting combination of the software side, you know, that designed more and more advanced chips, you know, in a completely new way, in, a, in an algorithmic way and yeah. not in a manual way. And then on the other side, you had the evolution of the manufacturing process itself, you know, you know, finer details, you know, improved structures, etc. And these kind of uh, they, they evolved in combination, but each of them kind of separately. And uh, each informed the other, but both of them kind of could, could, could evolve independently and that sped everything up. So everything became much faster. And we are kind of seeing the same thing happening now in, in additive. Wouldn't you, yeah. wouldn't you agree with that? Also 100%, because I mean, I had uh, a highlight uh, in, uh, I think it was five years ago, uh, when Qualcomm, uh, the uh, chip designing company was sold for 6 billion. And I was reading the newspaper and they were writing that they had never manufactured a chip. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, and it was reported that there was a chip company in Taiwan that had made the chips. And I looked at Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing, and I was very impressed uh, that obviously in the semiconductor industry, and semiconductor for me is an additive manufacturing. They do it layer by layer, okay? This was, uh, uh, this was uh, uh, a situation where I said, hey guys, I mean, everybody is talking about additive manufacturing and is thinking, uh, this tiny market is additive manufacturing. Let's look at, uh, at a similar market, uh, the semiconductor industry. And just to give you an idea, I mean, this uh, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing today is worth 600 billion, <laughs> okay? 600 billion, <laughs> okay? And, uh, and they were started about the same time when US was started. And I said, um, maybe we can look at, uh, at the development of this market uh, in a comparable way. 
And, and then I ask you a question because I didn't understand what the core of your software really was, this voxel-based system. Yeah. And I, I always, I'm a physicist, I always look to, uh, let me say, real results as a real world. Uh, I mean, there is a digital world, but uh, we have to make the transfer from the digital world into the uh, real world. And this is always materials. So, uh, and you remember we had, um, we had this dinner uh, at the restaurant near EOS uh, with uh, my son, Uli, yeah, and, uh, and he said- Oh, what, what was it, yeah. <laughs> this was in uh, 2018. And, and Uli said, why don't we make uh, a rocket engine part? Yeah, yeah. And then, then I said, okay, Uli, uh, take care. We had created the AM Ventures. Uh, we had uh, a very ambitious team there with very specific uh, knowledge uh, between software and hardware. And, and we said, okay, let's rent an EOS machine and uh, put the data on, uh, on this machine uh, from Lin. And this was not so easy because the standard EOS interface didn't allow it. So we created a special interface for you uh, on this test machine. And after 63 hours, I remember very well, 63 hours, we had a part in our hands that was created by a computer and had never seen a designer before. Yeah. And this was for me clear. Now we are opening a new chapter. I mean, we are opening a new chapter that could probably develop uh, like uh, the one in the semiconductor industry. Uh, where we go into a totally different world. But I think most people have not understood this. From, for me, it was clear, we have three elements in such a manufacturing process. This is, in my words, a digital design engine. <laughs> this would be your stuff. This is yeah. the software part. Then we have a digital AM processing engine. Yeah. And we have a digital AM post-processing engine because uh, you should never forget uh, the part that comes out of the machine normally is not the final part, uh, no matter what it needs. And, uh, and in this world, uh, we are uh, preparing the future now. And it's probably not uh, surprising for you. Uh, we cannot mention any names, but we are working on projects in this concept um, where we will definitely make uh, more than a million parts. We are looking more in a hundred million parts per year. And, um, and, and there are realized uh, applications already in the market, mostly unknown. Uh, but uh, but uh, so I'm really interested only in this range. So where are the applications where I can do custom serial custom parts one to 100 million per year. Uh, and it's only a question of cost. So what is the cost per part? And therefore we have uh, enormous uh, uh, multiples created by just structuring the equipment differently. No? The interesting part is how does such a digital processing, uh, uh, AM processing engine look like? It does not look like a standard machine today and uh, but if i uh, imagine what you can create with a computer power as of today and with your let me say voxel based kernel 
uh, then uh, if I combine these things, so uh, we are probably yeah. not too far away uh, from uh, where we uh, create this. And this means we are creating uh, businesses uh, that focus on very specific applications and will create a business in the range of, uh, of billions. That means yeah. if you make a million or a hundred million parts, no matter how cheap the part is, but normally you don't get under a, a value of around $10 or something like this, uh, just from a range point of view, five to $10 is probably what you need uh, to really uh, uh, initiate the major disruption because if you can make additive a part at this cost level, five to $10 a part, then everybody asks, why should we do the other stuff? I mean, it just exactly. makes no sense uh, because out of the digital world, it's so much faster. Yeah, and I, I, I think the interesting thing is really that um, if you talk to a lot of people in the AM world, they don't, they don't think along these lines yet. They, they always think in these boutique style manufacturing uh, categories. And you know, one of the things that excited me the most is you know, when I thought about hyperganic, because yeah, you know, I got excited about 3D printing very early, but I thought, well, yeah, it seems such a small market, and I don't think that is what I wanted to do next. You know, I had just uh, you know uh, uh, exited my last company, sold that to Adobe, uh, and and you know, I said, you know, the next thing I want to do, you know, needs to have a much uh, needs to have a, a large market and a societal impact, and I couldn't see how these initial 3D printers could have a societal impact because they seem to be like interesting toys. But what I realized relatively quickly is if you create a design engine that can create objects that have the complexity that approaches natural parts, you can create things that have never been done before. You can create more advanced objects, machinery than we humans have ever developed. And once you have that, then there is no question whether you produce this on a traditional machine or in an AM machine, because the AM machine is the only machine that can actually produce it. And then this whole discussion goes away. So what we did, uh, so this initial idea, you know, I talked to my CTO, Michael, you know, who has, you know, who I've been working with for 20 years now, and said, Michael, how do we actually have to represent the world if we want to build any object that an additive manufacturing machine can produce. And he kind of laughed and said, you know, Lynn, you would have to store every molecule in an object, basically. You would have to, to kind of you know, give every point in space material values and process properties and, and, and all of these things. And it seemed like a completely ridiculous idea back then. But then two days later, he called me and said, Lynn, we can actually do this. I mean, we've been doing image processing all of our lives now. We know how to do image processing. All we're doing is three-dimensional image processing. And this was the founding idea of Hyperganic. You know, we built an engine fundamentally that can address every particle that your printer can output. And when I can do that, I can fundamentally design any object that the printer can even in theory create. And that was kind of the, the, the base. And on top of that now, we think what we need to do is um, I mean, it's all well that you can create all these amazing things on additive manufacturing machines, but who designs them? And if we design them the way we've been designing objects for the last 20 years, and actually for the last 2000 years, if you think about it, 
because uh, you know the what we are currently doing as an engineer is, is is similar to what a Roman engineer did or an Egyptian engineer did, you know, a couple of thousand yeah. years ago. It's it's just that they are using a computer, so it's a manual process that takes a lot of time. So what we are doing now is we are taking this thought process that's going on in the brain of an engineer and we are putting it into the computer and now you you multiply it you 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 can run it at infinite times you know infinitely scalable and you can create objects that have never been done before and so it is exactly i mean to kind of sum it up it is exactly what happened in the microchip industry where Microchips are today designed completely algorithmically without anybody drawing anything and produced in fully automated factories that are not simple at all, that are unbelievably expensive actually, but are standardized enough so that any design I come up with on this side you know, can actually produce on this other side in this machine. And so I think this is really where we're headed in the next uh, years, you know, with additive. But I'm, I'm so happy that you're doing yeah. your part to actually build this vision. Yeah. yeah. Also, from my point of view, you mentioned before a very critical aspect, because you can create material properties, voxel by voxel. Okay. And this was really exciting me because when I was looking at these different uh, additive technologies, uh, I mean, everybody is looking at binder chatting and stuff, but they are uh, all processes that do the uh, more or less the, um, the additive build process on a, on a layer basis, as a, not on a voxel basis. Okay. Uh, that means uh, you cannot take advantage of, of uh, what your software allows. Uh, that means give every individual voxel a special property. And you know my, my favorite, uh, I call it digital materials. So we develop and we design totally new materials that have not been used in the world, both on the polymer side, on the metal side, and also on the ceramic side. Surprisingly, uh, you can create material properties uh, during a laser-based uh, process uh, that are not available in nature. As for instance, uh, we have a startup uh, that created an aluminum uh, alloy uh, where you can create a part with the strength of steel. And, and we are just uh, getting the message to the right designers and, and they are so surprised because you can uh, do, for instance, all kinds of engines in a totally different way. Uh, and, uh, and, and we see this uh, idea now being accepted, but uh, with your, uh, let me say, base software, you can create another very important uh, uh, issue here, uh, which is I can change this property voxel by voxel in this part. That means I create a part that cannot be manufactured any other way. Yeah. And, uh, and if there are only a few elements in this part where you need this kind of voxel dependent material property. And you remember when we talked about the major design problems of rocket engineers. I mean, on one side, uh, they want a very light part. On the other side, they have to have extreme 
uh, tight or tough uh, parts. Uh, when you look at the rocket chamber, now inside you want to have an extreme pressure uh, heat uh, resistance. On the other side, uh, on the outside, you probably want more like a porous part. And, um, and when I go back now to nature and look, is there any dense part created in nature? And there is none. <laughs> there is yeah. none. If you look in the nature, you have only porous parts. It starts with uh, a bone of a bird, but you go into more details. You look to how a tree works or, or whatever. It's all porous. And I know this now uh, have created this expression of uh, functional porosity. Mm. And we have done tests where we have been able to do with porous parts, getting higher strength properties than with dense parts. And, and this is a revolution. And, and you cannot make functional porous parts uh, easy way in a conventional way. I mean, there are possibilities, but only you can do the same shape all the time in a very special tool, you can do this. Uh, but we can create it in a free uh, way. So I think it's, it's, it's unbelievable these uh, possibilities we are creating here. And uh, I think the most sophisticated designers start to understand yeah. that uh, just gained getting out of the, let me say, human cat design, you are creating properties that will change the world. And this is uh, absolutely sure. And this is also a sustainable uh, aspect. It's a, it's a bionic aspect. It will even protect our world. I mean, yeah, I mean you, 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 can, you can build things from one material that required multiple materials. Uh, yeah. I mean, think of what this will do for recycling. But yeah. uh, more, the more exciting things is, uh, yeah. I mean, once you have these capabilities, of course, you can create objects that are more energy efficient. You can create objects that are more functional. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that always drove me crazy about the physical world is, you know, being used to the speed of software and 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 on computer hardware. I mean, think about it. You know, ten. 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. You know, uh, 20 years ago, very few people used the internet. You know, 30 years ago, very few people like you started using PCs. Um, today, you know, this is all normal, and who knows what where we're going to be in 10 years with computer technology. And if you look at most of the other stuff around us, you know, it hasn't really changed much. You know, in the last decades, and I was always frustrated about it. And some people say, well, there's not so much to, to change. Well, actually, I disagree. I mean, there's incredible potential in improvement in almost anything around you. And, um, and additive and these techniques that you mentioned are the absolute key factor for it. On the one hand, because we have new ways of doing things, so we can create these porosities. I mean, it's kind of logical that the porous part is more stable because cracks don't propagate as easily. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. Um, so on the one hand, you have that, but on the other hand, you just have so much more design freedom. Because right now, if I want to produce something new, I not only have to design that part, I also have to design the machine that produces the part. Now, if you have a standardized manufacturing process, you don't have to design a new machine every time you change something. And so that means you can actually innovate. You can change things you know, in every production run. You can change things on a part-by-part -part basis if it makes sense you know, to customize them. And so in my opinion, you know, the next 10 uh, years are going to be incredible because we are all of a sudden for the first time in history unleashing this 
human potential for innovation in physical things, you know, that has always been held back by the production process. Yeah, yeah. but then it just comes to my mind, I found a really, uh, found a very interesting discussion we had 2019 with uh, uh, BMW engineers. And you might remember, uh, they uh, showed us uh, a, a trial test they have made with some of their designers. Ne? They used two different groups of designers to create a bionic part. But this bionic part looked very different because, <laughs> because uh, designers are not taught how to design for a bionic uh, 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 shape. So uh, and, and the interesting thing is when you let the, the human designers run against the machine. And I can... Uh, I can uh, imagine already what will happen. Huh? I mean, for me, this is like uh, a computer started to play chess, okay? In the first rounds, uh, humans still had a chance to beat them, but not at the end. <laughs> and this is not only chess, you can do this for different games. Uh, but I think this is the way how you can make it a little bit, uh, let me say, comparable for people to understand what we are talking about because i think that most people have not understood uh, what we're just talking about uh, it's uh, we have to to transfer this message and i think the other thing that uh, is for me very clear uh, if you want to do this in a separate approach if, if you just talk about your design engine uh, you will have a hard time if you have not a partner that allows you to use this in the proper way. So I think we can only work together in a smart way to just create very specific designs, uh, find uh, people uh, that want to finance this really, uh, these factory approaches. I see these factories, these smart factories. And when you look at the uh, at the semiconductor world, I mean, uh, TSTM has just uh, uh, created a factory or is creating a factory in Nevada for uh, not less than $80 billion. Can you imagine? So, and, 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 and I, I found it quite interesting that they were uh, beating uh, Intel with towards the core of, uh, of the uh, chip uh, manufacturing. And, and, and this, I think, will happen in the future. That is actually an interesting aspect if you think about it. So if you think about the difference between a Qualcomm or a TSMC and, and an Intel, I mean, yeah. Intel is like a fully integrated company. They design their chips and they create yeah. their chips. Yeah. And um, you know, for a long time, this seemed like the best approach because you're completely vertically integrated. But if you look at what's um, going on with ARM or Qualcomm and these companies, these are all fabulous uh, design companies. So they are basically chip designers they don't produce. And then you look at TSMC, um, they are uh, chip producers without design. You know, so they just produce anything that somebody gives them. And uh, you know, in the long run now, this is so much more successful because everybody can kind of focus on the things that they're actually best at. Now, Hermann Hauser, you know, one of the pioneers of the PC revolution, uh, he's, he's one of our investors. And he said, uh, you know, Hypergani, he's investing in us because Hypergani is doing what he has been doing for the PC industry and especially the smartphone industry. Now, what did he do? He created a new 
uh, chip design in the 1970s called the Acorn yeah. Risk Machine, and yeah. uh, you know they they abbreviated it to ARM, and yeah. of course they ARM powers every smartphone in the world now. But what did he actually do? They created designs, not produced them. So you know everybody's licensing chip designs from ARM and produce them on whoever produces them best. And this kind of creates a, 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 a competition for, for the best designs and a competition for the best production methods and both inform each other. And I think if we can manage to get this up and running on additive, then we are also going to see Moore's law in manufacturing. And this is really where we need to go because we have so many things, also engineering challenges that we need to solve in the next decades. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that is, this is the absolute key component for it. Yes. And, and I think also when we look at the applications, I always say to my guys, please don't touch applications that work from a yeah. conventional point of view. No? Yeah. I mean, this, I'm not interested in this. Uh, and, and I think this is where additive is somewhat uh, uh, yeah, linked in. So people always think there is a conventional part. How can I make it an additive? Uh, this is the wrong approach. I mean, we will create designs for parts that cannot be made uh, the conventional way. And we have to look uh, where are the key applications where you need these kind of designs to overcome the limitations of conventional manufacturing. And uh, you, you, you start with the functionality that you want to achieve and not with the part. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for many years, I, I think people stopped asking me that, but many years people always ask me, yeah, how can I print a screw? And I always said, this is like the worst example. I mean, first of all, it's really easy to produce a screw. But secondly, in additive, you don't need screws. Yeah. yeah? I mean, why do you use screws? Because you want to connect two standardized parts to each other. But if you yeah. have additive, you don't have standardized parts and you don't need to connect them. You just print them in one go, ideally. Correct. So this is really where we headed. We need to start with the functionality. And that is the interesting thing, because if you start from the functionality and feed it into an AI-based design engine like we have, mm -hmm. then you come up with objects that are surprising, that often look bionic, even though you didn't program make it look like nature. Yeah, yeah. It's just nature has, has come up with the best designs. You know, this is why it looks mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And, um, and additive is the only way to produce it. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I'm I'm very happy we met <laughs> because uh, I didn't uh, I didn't really get this kind of uh, input from the design world uh, and from the digital world uh, because I think these are really totally separate areas. I mean, normally when you come from the machine side or laser process, you have all these machining guys around you, and they think in a very special perspective. But uh, for instance, when we met with other people that were really looking for functionality, I mean, they go for batteries. No? Everybody uh, who looks uh, for a battery, uh, a car can, uh, electric car cannot only go 300 miles, but 3000 miles. Uh, and if you say, I need this battery for 3000 miles, uh, then there might be a digital solution and additively manufactured. Uh, but it's a different approach. Yeah. And, and I learned that more and more people are ready to take this kind of adventure 
even you think uh, 10 or 20 million on the way there uh, because not all these designs finally work but if you find uh, every 10th to work then uh, i mean this is a, a much bigger business than what we have today and and i think this kind of mentality we need and therefore i liked our approach on the first part i mean you had the idea we said okay there is a machine we need some software uh, interfaces uh, special for you we made it happen and we created the part and we had a big resonance and i think uh, at the background at least we have a lot of people thinking about this and, yeah. and this will uh, change the world and, and this is a lot of fun uh, to have these kind of uh, people around and i appreciate uh, very much uh, what is the openness uh, we can discuss together and the way we work I mean, uh, you know, I just, I'm just super excited about the next 30 years, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we are just getting started, but we had a good start and, you know, I think we're both happy what we're doing in the space business these days. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it would be, will be fun to see what happens in the next five years, you know, when we have maybe the next conversation like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have lots of a conversation in the meantime, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun so far, and it will be a lot of fun, I'm absolutely sure. And, and space is an interesting area because there is money, a lot of money available, so you can do, do things uh, normally you don't get. But I think there are other markets uh, people are not aware of, uh, which have huge potentials. But I think, uh, uh, I think in these terms, it's a, it's a billion market for very specific parts. Uh, and this is a, a very interesting industry. So uh, thank you very much for, for um, joining uh, for this kind of opportunity. And uh, we will have a lot of fun together. I'm absolutely yeah, sure. So. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks. always good to meet you. <laughs>